This is Finding Doe. My name is Todd Matthews. One of the founders of the Doe Network, Matthews gives us a front row seat to the mystery that has been his life for the past 20 years. And I work in the world of forensic science. Working alongside police departments and creating legislation, Matthews continues to work with NamUs, a database connecting thousands of families to the deceased. I'm a 51-year-old father and grandfather, and I've been married for 33 years. A man who has spent the last two decades connecting families to their loved ones' remains and telling their stories in hopes of identifying more does and raising awareness. I've lived on this same property for 51 years. Living two lives, Matthews was compelled to dive into forensic science full-time. We begin this captivating journey with episode one, I know I'm definitely on a parallel world. Recomposing the Decomposed. This kind of work has been something that I've done my entire adult life. It wasn't always a professional job. According to the National Missing and Unidentifiable Person System, over 600,000 individuals go missing in the United States every year. According to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, out of individuals who are not found alive, there are roughly 40,000 bodies awaiting identification in the United States. Less than 10% of those bodies will ever be identified. Groups like the Doe Network act as an internet anthropologist digging up information and then connecting it online. They assist police officers and families to reunite them with loved ones and give them closure. Matthews has done this for 20 years, almost half of his life. He's had thousands of articles written about him and what he does. I have been interviewed by so many different news uh, organizations I can't even keep up with them, and they're from all over the world. Um, you know, Vice in the UK interviewed me pretty in-depth last summer, and it was for a program, and we did it in there alone interview and they had a ton of questions about the case and sometimes people have asked questions that make me ponder in a way that I never had before. Before being contacted by the Department of Justice in 2007, Matthews had worked his way up the ranks at a factory. It was going from being what you do at night after you get done with work to this is your work. And I can see the life I would have had. It wasn't a bad life. You know, my brother still works at the same factory so he still knows the same core group of people. Just a smaller world. His night work to his life work, Matthew's friends, neighbors, and colleagues are intrigued by how he makes a difference in this world. My high school reunion, the last one, had I been there, I had something else that happened and uh, I was going to be voted with for the most unique job and nobody can really say what job I do. But what does Todd Matthews do? He names people, but this is no simple task. Naming somebody, I like to call it recomposing the decomposed. He uses any information he can obtain, speaking to personal sources, including neighbors, families, officers, and dentists. He compiles his information into the Doe Network. Founded in 1999, the Doe Network is a nonprofit organization made up of volunteers to connect missing persons cases with John and Jane Doe cases. He also works with NamUs, a national clearinghouse and resource center for the missing, unidentified, and unclaimed person cases throughout the United States. RTI, also known as Response to Intervention, is an international nonprofit research institute dedicated to improving the human condition and identification of missing John and Jane Doe cases. Of course, Doe Network, I've had it for a long time. 
and National Missing and Unidentified Persons System. I'm probably going to start doing some more work with NamUs now that the grant has actually went to RTI. And a lot of it's advocates, individual advocates, somebody that you can empower to go like, here's what we did in Tennessee. Here's the language that we used to pass the state law unanimously. We did a lot of work to get this going. It's yours. You take it and change people's lives with it. And changing lives is what he does searching Tennessee, Kentucky, and surrounding states to discover unidentified remains that have been sought after for years or decades by their families. Not only does he work one-on-one with cases, he also acts as a consultant across the country. He is not the only piece of the larger puzzle. You know, whether it was a direct, Todd put this final piece in there, but they know it was part of what you built. Like if NamUs has resolved a case, Alice Alamendris in Texas, and she's the one that just recently helped pass state law. She had to go on that journey alone, but she calls me on the way to testify both times. And it's like, I can't testify in Texas. I can be a consultant and talk to your state representatives and explain some of the issues behind the scenes, help they understand it. You don't have to. You just have to go and say, my dad was a John Doe, and I don't want this to happen to anybody else. Alamendris' father was dead for years before he was found and named. But to her, he had only been dead since the day she was notified. That's why Matthews gravitates towards the older cases, a sense of urgency to give closure to families who have been searching for years. I do like to work on the older cases before I work on the newer cases. The newer cases have the advantage of all the modern technologies that are already ready. The older cases, I'm finding the living memory of people that said, we don't have a John or Jane Doe case. Yes, you do. And it's literally going back to newspaper archives, things that you can't Google search. You can't Google search filing cabinet. He is constantly fighting time to find living members of original investigations and tangible documents from before a time of typed police reports and information being just a couple clicks away. So unless that data is first found digitized and put back out there, the clock is running on them. And I've went to so many cases in the past. I had one from 1921 in Kentucky, and some of the original news articles about that case had been lost in a fire or water damage. That's the reason he become a John Doe for so long is because some of the original newspaper articles that covered it destroyed what was left of the record and it was literally, it literally had to be restored. That was part of it and the key in that was to target media in certain areas where you knew that could be potential connections. And literally a family come forward and said that John Doe is my great great uncle and it was. And they had a family Bible where his name was recorded, and then to go back and realize it was known years ago, but yet he was around for 100 years as a John Doe because those records had not been connected or easily searchable. While documents are hard to find, what really closes the case can be even harder. Confirming the person's identity, this is what causes the most significant delay. So there's dental DNA or fingerprints. It's the number one, and there's different types of the DNA. Ancestry DNA, it's not really the first place you should go to. You know, you have to go through the standard forensic sciences first. Fingerprints have been a form of ID for centuries. They're a unique thing. They're easily found. CODIS is the combined DNA index system used to describe the FBI's program of support for criminal justice DNA databases, as well as the software used to run DNA through these databases. Fingerprints are the quickest and most efficient, but if you only have bone, the case gets harder. Here's the problem. I could have your fingerprints as a missing person, but if you have skeletal remains, they're useless. And often, dental records. I can have skeletal remains that are found and of course, you have remains right there. and get the full dental workup from a forensic odontologist. Well, if I don't have your dental records as a missing person uploaded into a file that's accessible, they're useless. 
That's why DNA often is the shortcut. Unfortunately, I feel like law enforcement will just say, do DNA. And it's like, if I have two dental records or two fingerprint sets, it can be done today if we have them. But the challenge is whether you have flesh or whether you do not have flesh. Fingerprints are flesh, dental records are bone. Dental records and files may seem to be hard to find unless they are given by a dentist or doctor. Most do not know to give them even if they might be the last piece of the puzzle. When you're sliding them across the table, it's easier for somebody to take them. They might not be looking for those dental records. So I think that's why medical professionals, and we passed a resolution in Tennessee this year, it's best practice for medical providers. Just to remind them, we might not always know that you have that record. So if you could volunteer that record or at least make law enforcement aware that such a record exists, it could shorten that time period or prevent the loss of that record. Police and forensic scientists cannot do this alone. Awareness is key. The more people advocating for the identification of a John or Jane Doe, the more likely that it will end up with someone who has crucial information. That's part of the process is making sure people are aware of it. Every time a news story is run, I'll have somebody that'll call and say, hey, I knew something about that. The medical examiner in Knox County, Dorinka Malusnik, really nice lady, and I've worked with her quite a bit. Dr. Malusnik is very progressive, and she wants to see her John and Jane Doe's resolved. In Cumberland County, there's two John Doe's from the 80s and 90s that I want to get the DNA testing ancestry. There's one from Sevierville from 1974. I want that one. And one from the late 90s in Campbell County, Tennessee in particular, that I want to get the DNA. And I've requested that, and they're willing to work with me. And how this works, they will send in a bone sample to the Othram lab for DNA solves, I'm going to be able to go back and do the crowdsourcing. So a page will be created for them, and it costs approximately $5,000 to do the DNA. So the county won't have to pay for it. The public that are saying, how can I help? I'll be able to say, you can help by contributing. Sometimes corporations in the county will just say, listen, I'm going to pay half of it, and they'll write a check. So once there's enough in it to actually begin the DNA processing, we can find living even distant relatives of those John and Jane Doe's, and that is essential to find a way to name them and resolve because three out of four of them are homicides. I'll do everything that I can to use my platform to crowdsource and just get them funded and get the identification, and hopefully we'll eradicate every John and Jane Doe in Tennessee and hopefully Kentucky and beyond. But who the Doe Network is looking for and the type of victims that come up the most as John and Jane Doe's is something that Matthews researches to better work the next case. Knowing how that type of victim lives can make the investigation easier. Commonalities is a word that I use for the Grateful Dead. The commonalities wasn't because it was a serial killer and the deaths themselves were related, but some of the circumstances they had something to do with the Grateful Dead. And, you know, it's either they were on their way to a concert, leaving a concert, they had a T-shirt on. It was a popular thing, and it was something that brought attention to them. Grateful Dead wasn't responsible for their death, but they could have been partly responsible for their identification because they were categorized because of these commonalities. A lot of the commonalities are like the redheaded slayings, where a single killer killed many because of something that he saw that he chose. This was a little nicer story where the Grateful Dead was the commonality. Anytime you have one here, you might be able to see it. If you have like 10 here, that's a bigger crowd to see. After DNA testing has been sent out, the living family must be notified. Alive or dead, people want to know what has happened or if their loved one is still missing. And identifications made the family are usually aware because they've had to give a family reference sample of DNA. So they know something's pending. The day could come 
Most of the time, it's investigating agency that's going to give them a call or pay them a visit, depending on the circumstances. And I had a lady in Connecticut. Her son has been missing for years. She said, if he's ever identified, would you personally call me? If I have the opportunity, but I might not be the one notified of the DNA, it'll probably be the investigating agency. I would love to tell you. I would love to be able to be the one to tell you. I did actually call and tell her about one set of DNA. We thought there was a match, and I saw the DNA results, and it wasn't him. She cried because it wasn't him. The general public that don't realize what we're doing, they would think, they'd say, yay, that means what? That means we're still looking. I think she was wanting to hope of, okay, I know something terrible's happened to him at this point in time. I just want to know what it is and have the traditional funeral and start healing from it. And you can't do that if you can't have somebody to bury. However, with all the hard work that goes into this job, not all families can be reunited and not everyone can have their what could be a happy ending. So much is to be done to make a happier and safer world. There was a day knowing that some of these cases were going to be a tremendous lifetime. You know, when, when there were some hits that were coming through and we were making identifications with the volunteers and with forensic science. When I was younger, I thought, wow, you know, we might actually get a lot done. As I get older, I realize we're not going to get half of it done. That's something I had to accept. We can't solve them all. You can't save the world. But we can build processes, state law, tell the stories that can build on it and be a part beyond your own lifetime. Like, I'm not going to see the end of this. But can we improve it and put things in place that can help control it so that it's not a total silent mass disaster. And that's the term for it, the silent mass disaster. A lot of cases over distance and time, if it was in one area, it would be a huge deal, but it's scattered out to the point that it's silent and unseen. If we can control that to where it's not an absolute disaster, but more of a concern, that would be better. Knowing that we can do that, that we will do, that we've already done. So now it's just making sure you get as much done as possible. I feel that's what I'm compelled to do post-50 is to tell the stories that have never been told, to explain how these things come to fruition instead of just uh, she was identified through DNA. There could have been an incredible amount of energy and people that went into that that maybe we need to celebrate. Look at all of this teamwork that went together to resolve this and look at what it did to help restore that family. Those are the stories that I want to tell them. So many people come together but it is impossible to say just how many cases the Doe Network has helped solve. The puzzle is a group effort that never stops. How many cases? It's not a year that you do it. The Pecos County Jane Doe case in Texas was an investment five years ago that came to fruition now. So you really never know some of the early work you've done, what somebody else will put a piece onto it. It's really like putting a piece of like a puzzle together. Everybody finds pieces and throw on the table and you never know what's going to be the last piece. So I honestly couldn't tell you how many cases that I've contributed to or some of my work or people that I've worked with have contributed to or and how many more that will resolve. And honestly, you don't even count them anymore. It just get as much done as you can possibly get done. What started as a day job over 20 years ago with the help of persistence, a man has done what he never thought he would have. We'll dive into what he has seen over this time to give grieving families what they deeply desire, closure and answers. Without him, they may never have. With Todd Matthews in Livingston, I'm Chrissy Jones, Middle Tennessee News.